check. Okay. You always lose track of the switch. Like, did I switch it? So I switch it again. And then you lose count. Like, did I switch it three times? Or I switch it again? You just keep switching. Really? It's my natural condition. That's right. Noah, I want you to build an ark. That's the... We'll, we'll give our guys a sec. Are we getting there? Is that better? Are we there yet? No? I'm still very reverby. Check, check, check. Let's assume it just implies authority. How about that? We can. Um, while they're working, working us out here, a um, couple of things that you should know. Uh, I'm Mark, by the way. A lot of us haven't met like since sort of coming back to in-person worship. Uh, there are a bunch of new faces. Uh, hi, I'm Mark. Um, there's lots of you that uh, we don't know each other yet. Um, I've been around here a while. Uh, I'm not on staff here anymore, uh, but once in a while I get to pinch hit for one of the guys, uh, so that's super fun to me. But you should know uh, a couple of things. Um, one, if you ever think, I'm getting a little full of myself and need to get taken down a peg, you should preach, right? Like nothing will humble you faster uh, than, than going through uh, this process. Um, the second thing, if you've heard me preach before, uh, I started to think something about me was true based on how I prepare a message. I started to believe uh, because every time Brian would ask me to preach, I'd look at the topic and I'd start digging into it, and man, I came in like ready to kick some butt. I was just like, mm, and then have to dial it back, and, and, and I realized that it's not me, that you must just think I'm a jerk because I just like kind of come in and like pound on it, uh, but he gives me those topics so he doesn't have to preach them be the warm, fuzzy guy, right? Um, so we've done that again today. Uh, our topic today, the Bible is sanctifying. Uh, so we're in the, the, final, the final week of our series. Um, yeah, look at that watch, Grant. You should know I didn't time this. So um, looking at our, at our series, uh, we've had a few uh, topics as we work through Psalm 19, uh, descriptions of, of Scripture and, and what it is and how we interact with it. Uh, and we, and our, our, our list has been that the, that the Bible is inspired, that it's infallible, that it's inerrant, that it's timeless, and that it's priceless. And today, uh, we're going to wrap up our series with uh, the statement that the Bible is sanctifying. Um, now, sanctifying is possibly the most uh, kind of churchy word that I could come up with if I had to come up with one. Um, you know, if I were to say, hey, write down, what do you think sanctifying mean? Probably a lot of us would sort of, you know, maybe get close or maybe just have no idea what we're talking about. Because uh, it's one of those really kind of like King Jamesy words, I think. Uh, so let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, so first of all, the Latin. I'm a language guy, you know, when it comes into these studies. This is always where I go first. Uh, sancti is Latin for holy, set apart, or consecrated, which is another one of those King James words. And we're going to unpack that a bit too. Uh, so, so you might think of uh, sanctimonious, like that guy preaching is so sanctimonious, right? Like holier-than-thou attitude. Uh, you might think, what's another sancti word? You know sancti words? Sanction, sanction would be another one. Uh, what's another one? Sanctuary, right? Like, so, so we've got words that we use that, that have that root uh, that we use in the word sanctif uh, sanctify. Sanction, sanctity, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life. Um, so so we, use, we use that word quite a bit in its root, but maybe in some other context and other forms. Um, next, let's look at, at the Greek. So, so if you're looking at your Bible, uh, most of our Old Testament stuff, we, we go back to Hebrew. And most of our New Testament stuff, we go back to Greek, because that's, 
That's the original text that we have that are translated into what we have uh, as a Bible. Uh, so let's do the Greek. Uh, the Greek is fun. Um, hagiatso. Can you say hagiatso? Yeah, say it again. Hagiatso. It's fun. You got a little ha, like hagiatso, like a little hmm behind it, right? Hagiatso. And, and like sancti, this means to make holy. Uh, to consecrate, to sanctify. This is the word that shows up in the New Testament, that when you see the word sanctify or consecrate, this is the Greek word that they're coming from. Uh, and, and the root of that, hagios, uh, means set apart by God or set apart for God, depending on how it's used. Uh, literally set apart for the Lord's use. All right, and then the Hebrew. <laughs> this one's really good. Kadesh. You say Kadesh. Kadesh. This is a good word. Uh, Kadesh. And this is, this is usually translated as consecrate in the Old Testament texts, uh, but sometimes gets, gets translated as the word appoint. So when you're reading uh, in the book of Joshua, for example, uh, it's talking about somebody is appointed to do something. That doesn't mean like, I appointed Josh to bring the hot dogs to lunch today, right? That it's, it's, it's weightier than that. You know, I I appointed Alicia to make the coffee last night. Like that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something much deeper than that when we say appoint in the Old Testament. We're coming back to that, to that Hebrew word, kadesh, and, and we're talking about uh, taking someone and setting them specifically aside for the Lord's use. Okay, you with me? Following me? You're kind of getting this idea of sanctify and, and what that means. So what does that mean for us sort of theologically in terms of our faith and, and how that plays out? Uh, so this is the next thing I do uh, when I want to study something is I go back and I look at like a little bit of history. Like how did, uh, how did people that came long before me uh, that, that were really smart and, and studied this stuff, how did they, how did they deal with this? Uh, so from the 1647 Shorter Westminster Catechism, uh, which was uh, a, group of, a group of guys, uh, of priests and, and pastors and teachers and theologians, got together, and, and it was not long after like Protestantism is happening, uh, but they're trying to figure out what that means, and so they, they put together this statement, and this is what they had to say about sanctification. It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Uh, Francis Turretin, uh, the Swiss theologian, comes along in 1679, um, a few decades later, and says, sanctification is the real and internal renovation, I like that word, renovation, of man, by which God delivers the man, planted in Christ, in Christ by faith, and justified more and more from his native depravity, and transforms him into God's own image. Uh, John Wesley, uh, the, uh, the missionary that sort of evangelized the West in the 18th century, uh, he, he writes, by sanctification, we are saved from the power and root of sin and restored to the image of God. And that this is a process that gradually increases until the very end of the believer's life. And then, uh, and then me, I would say sanctification is what the Holy Spirit does in us when we follow Jesus. Is that fair? We okay with that? Yeah? Looking around like a few of the theologians in the room, like, we okay with that? Can we move forward with that definition? Any objections? Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Okay, so now, uh, you feel like you have a pretty good grasp, like, well, what are we talking about? Sanctification, what does it mean? Theologically, what does it mean? 
Now we have to figure out the nuts and bolts of Monday, right? Monday's coming. That's the hard part. So let's go back to our psalm. Uh, grab your Bible. You have your Bible? You know, we've been, we've been talking week after week after week of like, bring your Bible, Dan. And, <laughs> and for, for, I was doing really well. I was doing really well with it. And then I'm going to be honest with you. I had this Bible that I loved, and it wasn't very big, and I'd pack it, and it was awesome, and like suddenly I found myself like, I can't quite read this Bible, but I wasn't really willing to admit that I needed a bigger font, like bigger print, so I just kind of used the iPad and did that, and then a few weeks ago, Brian was, was on that horse again, you know, bring your Bible, real Bible, paper Bible, so in the middle of the message, I ordered this Bible, I had to come to, uh, come to grips with, with my own pride and shame in that. Um, and this is a little bigger font. And this is really cool. If you need a new Bible, uh, the, the Jesus-centered Bible, lots of us are picking these up. Uh, this is a super cool Bible to work with uh, because it gives you, um, it points in the Old Testament, it highlights things that point to Jesus uh, and gives you an explanation of that. So if you need a Bible, um, highly recommended. Two thumbs up. Would recommend to a friend. All right, so uh, Psalm 19. If you've been tracking with us uh, these past this past six weeks, um, hopefully this is this is at the forefront of your mind. If it's not, you should go read the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, uh, but our focus today is the very last three verses. So going from verse 12, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right. As long as we're having fun together, let's talk about sin. Everybody's favorite. I told you, Brian gives me these. Um, Okay, so we often treat sin like it's an infraction, right? Like, um, like, I did a thing, it was bad, I was a bad dog, please forgive me, right? And then we go on with our life, right? It's sort of like, it's that thing, that thing was a sin. And I, I think we, we kind of miss the bigger picture of sin, that sin permeates every aspect of our world, that sin permeates uh, every pattern of thought in your mind, that sin permeates our relationships. Like, we are, we are corrupted by sin. It's not just about, oh, I did that one bad thing, you know, and that was a sin. Like, yes, that's true, but that's only part of the story. We've got we've to get this, this bigger idea of, of the reality of sin in our lives and in our existence and in our culture and in our world. Um, we have to address our nature, so sin is, is the thing, but sin is also the patterns of thought and behavior which don't reflect the heart of God. So anything that, that, that we are thinking, that we are dwelling on, anything that is not reflective of the heart of God, we're back in that, in that broken, sinful territory, okay? Uh, so the very cultural, philosophical worldviews which govern how we think, how we act in the world, they're all inherently tainted by sin. So we just took a trip to Alaska. I grew up in Alaska. I got to take my family back. Uh, the kids had never been. It was super awesome. You can follow Alicia's social media, Facebook, Instagram. You've been posting them all. Uh, lots of cool photos of Alaska. 
Um, super cool trip, but we took this, we took this boat out of uh, Valdez Harbor. Uh, you come out through Valdez Bay, and you go out through the Narrows, and you come around into, the, into Columbia Glacier, and, and we're on this like 90-foot boat, and man, this guy goes in, and keeps going in, and keeps going in, and he's going really slow, and bump off the iceberg, bump, and just slowly pinballs all the way in, right? And this guy does this every day, you know, and kind of knows where he's going, and knows the limitations of the boat, and all of that. But there are still a lot of white-knuckled folks on the boat as you kind of go bump, bump. But how much, of, how much of that little bump did you see above water? It was like, you know, this. Right? This, little, this little thing. But below water, right, that's, that's the rest of our sin. That's the rest of our sinful nature that we've got to watch out for. Um, so, in Psalm 19:12, David writes, how can I even know? How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. So he's not saying I did a thing, forgive me. He's saying it, it's, it's me. It's like it's every aspect of my being, and I need to be cleansed. I need to be healed. I need to be delivered, right? See, David recognizes that, that so much of his thinking, his worldview, his understanding of Scripture, his understanding of God it's flawed. It's incomplete. He can't even see it all. In Matthew 5, Jesus starts his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is a great model of that, to be poor in spirit, to recognize like, I can't even see it. You know, my, my spiritual poverty is to the point uh, that, that I, can't even, I can't even identify all of the ways in which I need Jesus to heal me, right? So sin has permeated all of creation, and it, and it acts like a force in the world, like gravity, right? Um, and like a force like gravity, it seeks to rule you. So again, we're stepping back from the I did a thing, I need to be forgiven, and we're recognizing that, that sin is everywhere and it wants to rule me. In Genesis 4, a story of Cain and Abel, it's a story about these two brothers and it doesn't go well and Cain kills Abel. It's like the first murder that's, uh, that's described in the Bible. Um, but God says to Cain before this all plays out, Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Back to our Psalm 19, David says, Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Right? Our, our, our sins, again, it's not just I did the thing, I need to ask forgiveness. It's, it's, it's a controlling force in our lives that needs to be addressed. All right, the effects of sin, it's not just the things you've done and the things that you've thought. The effects of sin includes the things that were done to you. The trauma you've experienced, big T, some of us, somebody you trusted hurt you, small T, sort of this slow drip of just, you know, uh, bad things happening in life. This is going to take you to a place where you don't act as, as God hoped you would act as a healed, reconciled, complete follower of Jesus in the world. We have to address those things too. 
So we have, we have the sin that we've done. We have the sin that's, that's, that's the force in the world that permeates everything that we do and think and say and experience and, and the effects of living in that, of what we've experienced that's been done to us. It causes us to walk through the world differently than God would intend for us. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. All right. That was sin. I have good news. We have sin, but we have Jesus, right? The power of sin, the ultimate power of sin to separate us from God for all eternity is broken. It's done. Romans 3.22 says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. But that's not the whole story. Jesus came and made disciples. He said to them, come, follow me. He didn't save someone and leave them right? There, there was a next step. And so I feel like we need, to, we need to draw a little bit of a distinction between the idea of, of salvation, this idea that I accepted Christ and now I will spend forever with him. That's different than our discipleship, which is, okay, I accepted Christ, which was the first step, but now Jesus says, come follow me. There's another step. And then you're going to discover some things about yourself, and then there's another step. And then, oh my gosh, look at this thing. There's another step, right? And so I, I don't in any way want to suggest that, uh, that somehow your salvation is linked to all of these other steps, right? That is paid for, as we know from Romans 3, that is paid for, that is done. But we have some work to do. In John 17, 17, uh, Jesus says, as he's praying uh, with and for his disciples, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes this uh, to the Christians in, in Thessalonica. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. In 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, he writes to the same group, God chose you as first fruits, which we'll unpack in a sec, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through the belief in the truth. So I want to be clear uh, that when we talk about sanctification, this is something that God does, right? You can't sanctify yourself. There you go. You can't sanctify yourself. You can't make yourself holy, right? You can't fix it yourself. The, uh, the song that we opened with, uh, 
the last line says, if we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing, right? We can't do it. This is something that God does, and we have a part to play. So I was raised by Indiana Jones, basically. Um, my dad, uh, growing up in Alaska, my dad just had us in mortal peril all the time. And, you know, you never wondered if and how you were going to get out of it, and somehow you did. And, and the message that I grew up with, you know, you know, as a kid, you like, you learn a message. It isn't, maybe it's not the one that was communicated to you, but the one you walked away with was what you walked away with, right? I walked away with, nobody is coming to help you, right? <laughs> that was the message that I left home and started going through life. Like, the world is trying to kill you, and no one is coming to help you. That's the message that I stepped out into the world. So I, I still have some, you know, some effects of that that I deal with. Um, you know, I'm a get-off-the-couch-get-off-your-butt kind of guy, right? Because, of, like, no one is coming to help you. The work of sanctification is God's work. I can't do it, right? The other end of the spectrum, though, is I just can't do anything. All I can do is sit here and hope that Jesus does stuff in me, right? Eeyore is your spirit animal at that point, right? <laughs> like, you're just sort of like, oh. And, and neither of those are quite right in totality, right? There's, there's God's work, and then there's our work, our steps, our participation. When, God says, when Jesus says, come follow me, there's a step to take. Uh, some theologians... Um, went through the scriptures. This is a fun thing. If you're, if you're a maps person, you know, if, like, if you love maps, go through the scriptures and figure out how far did Jesus walk in just, just presented in the Gospels. Do you have a guess? Take a guess. What do you think? It's like jelly beans in the jar. 60 miles. Do we have a, do we have a different guess? We have, well, let's pick a number, though. That's 1,000. Good. All right. Other guess? 3,000? 3,150 is the estimate in three years. 3,150 miles, 1,000 miles a year, right? So when Jesus walks up to those dudes that are like fishing for a living, like, oh my gosh, they're fishing for a living, right? Like, this is hard, but this is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, come follow me. That's what he was asking them to do. Hey, I'm going to walk a few thousand miles in the next few years. Just track with me follow along with me. Now, maybe you love to hike, maybe you love to backpack, but let's be honest, like 3,000 miles is a little much, right? So he walks 3,000 miles with these people that he says, come and follow me. So we have a part to play in this. We have steps to take. Jesus bought you broken and he wants to make you whole, right? God created us with an image in mind, each of us. God created Mark with an image in mind of the dude he's supposed to be. And I want to know who that dude is, right? Because if I'm not taking steps, I'm not going to find out who that dude was. I'm not going to go through the sanctification that God calls me to. It requires engagement. It requires a reciprocal relationship. In verse 14 of our psalm, Psalm 19, David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So this is not transactional. This is, this is relational, right? So, so the statement of being pleasing to God, that I want my life to be pleasing to God, this is not uh, performative. So my first career as a jazz pianist, uh, and you would go play a gig, and you usually got dinner out of the gig, but the joke was like you're singing for your supper, right? That was, that was how that worked. This is not what we're talking about. I've got this dog, Felicia and Josie got a, got a COVID puppy. How many of you got a COVID puppy this year? Yeah, right? We got a COVID puppy, Herbie. And like the first time we fed him, he does this thing where as you're walking with the dish, he twirls all the way over there. He'll do like seven or eight twirls. We didn't train him to do this. Now, we certainly praised him for it because like, it's awesome. So, so we walk in. Herbie's, we're not twirling for our dinner, right? That's not what this is about. We're not entertaining God with our life. This is, this is our, our posture when we're in relationship with God. David loves God, knows that he is loved by God. And in that loving relationship, he wants God to be pleased and he wants God to take joy in the relationship because that's what you do when you're in a loving relationship with somebody. If I treat my marriage transactionally instead of relationally, things will go badly for me, right? Things will go very, very badly for me. If Josie treats me as someone to get something out of as opposed to being in relationship with me, things are probably going to go badly for Josie, right? That's not... That's not how that parent-child relationship ought to work, right? We want it to be relational. So how do we do that? How do I make the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, pleasing to God? Well, it turns out the Bible points us there. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will follow my commands. You heard that one before? If you love me, you will follow my commands. Literally, like, if we're in this loving relationship, you got to do what I say. Because what I'm saying to you is, is good for you. It's for your betterment. It's for your healing. So we have a couple of problems with that statement. If you love me, you will follow my commands. Problem one, do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? Like, if... If you don't have a Bible and you don't have Google, and I said, hey, I want you to grab a pen and write down everything Jesus said, how would you do? Let me remind you that this is the most humble place in the room to stand, right? Man, I'm not going to be awesome at that. I don't know what he said. I've read it all. I've read it all over and over and over, and I don't know what he said. I should probably dig into that a bit. If I want to be sanctified, if I want God to do the sanctifying work in my heart, it means I need to do what Jesus said, which means I probably need to know what he said. And then problem two is do it, right? And that's the problem with Eeyore over here. The problem, the problem with Eeyore, Eeyore is Eeyore, Eeyore isn't going to do, do, do it. Eeyore, Eeyore is going to sit. And the problem with, with Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones is the moralist trying to trying to like muster it, right? Like bootstraps, sanctification. That's not a thing. It doesn't exist. It doesn't work. God has his part, and I have my part. And I have to do my part, and I have to trust God to do his part. So when I allow God to teach me, to lead me, I take joy in that relationship. As I follow, as, as I, I take, take steps, steps only, only then, then do I do become... I become 
that, that guy, guy that he wants, he wants me, me to be. But my, but my sinful, sinful nature, known and unknown, David says, stands between who I am and who I'm created to be. Stands between the life I know and the life that God has called me to live. It stands between what I do on Monday at 10.30 and what God wants me to do on Monday at 10.30. That, that process, process of sanctification is the process of getting, getting, getting from, from, the, the, from, the from the broken, broken image, image that, that I am to the image, image that God, God wants me to be. Creator, Creator of the universe made me. me. I want to know, know who that, who that guy, guy is supposed to be. So following so Jesus, Jesus is an active thing. thing. 3,000 3, steps. So you've got to so take, take one. You know, if, you, if, you, if you look on our website, you'll see that our church exists to help people take the next step with God. Your next, Your next step, step is different, is different than, than my next step. step. And that's, and that's cool. cool. Maybe, Maybe you haven't, haven't taken, taken any steps, steps and you've got to take, take the first step. step. That's, that's cool. cool. We just want to help, help you take the next step. step. It, sounds it sounds simple. sounds, sounds easy. easy. And it is, and it is easy. Jesus, Jesus says, says, my yoke is easy, the stuff that I tell you should do. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's simple. It's easy. But it requires focus. And it, and it requires surrender. surrender. Let me tell Let me you tell what, you what is, is hard. hard. Let me tell you what's, what's really, 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 really hard. What's hard is not taking up Jesus' yoke. yoke. What's, hard what's hard is putting down the, the, the bricks, bricks in your bag, bag that you're packing around right now. That's, that's what's hard. Right? right? The problem, the problem is, isn't Jesus asked me to do something so hard. The problem is I'm really, really good at all this other stuff. And I have really, 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 really worn paths in my heart. And I don't know how to put those things down. And that process of sanctification... Learning how to, how to put, put those things, things down. down. As, as much, much as, as it is learning, learning what it is, what it is I'm picking up. Does that make sense? sense? With, me? With me? Okay. okay. Some, some of that stuff, some, some of the bricks, bricks in your, your bag, bag are really, really, really heavy, heavy and are, and are really, really, really hard. hard. And, and new, disciplines, new disciplines, new practices, new ways, ways of living. living. That's hard. That's hard, That's hard, That's hard to, to stick, stick with. with. It's, it's easy, easy to like, like decide, decide, but by, by Thursday, Thursday, am I still there? there? Am, I still am I still doing, doing it? it? All right, so, All right, so you, you ever do the Bible, Bible in a year? year plan? How, many How many of you have, you have started, started it? it? Have, have started, started the Bible, Bible in a year? year? Right? right? How many of you have had the experience where you started it and then didn't make it? About the same number of people, right? Yeah. So twice. Twice I started it and failed. And quit. And then Grant... Hanson, not our, our Friday, Friday morning, morning men's group, group mentioned, mentioned one time that he had gotten, gotten way, way behind. behind. Like, oh, it was hard, hard to get back, back into, into it. it. You'll, You'll never, never catch, catch up. up. And his, his wife, Amy, pointed out, out the, point the point isn't a year. year. Right? right? <laughs> like, like, I'm very, I'm very careful, careful about talking about, about how women, how women think. think. But, but men, men, like, like, like it's, it's the year. It's the race. It's the goal. It's all of that. It's like, oh. I guess, I guess it was, it was actually, actually just about reading, reading my Bible, Bible wasn't, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I failed, failed twice, twice before, before I got there. there. Um, um, and, and so, so thanks, thanks to Amy, Amy Hansen for pointing, pointing that out to us. That, that, uh, the point was, was the Bible. Bible. The point, the point was, was not, not the year. Um, are you caught, caught up, up yet? Oh, okay. We'll talk on Friday. All right, so three things. Let me give you three really tangible things that you need if you want to take a step. Okay. You ready? You ready? Get your pen. pen. Easy. Easy. One. One. You need, you a, need will. a will. Not, Not like, like a, if, if I, I die, die, 
who gets, who gets my stuff called. Not, not like, like, you know, I'm leaving everything, everything to Josie, Josie and, and Ethan's left, left out, out in the cold. cold. Sorry, Sorry, Ethan. Take the, take trash, the trash out once in a while. while. Okay, okay, so... My friend, my friend Stan, Stan once said at a Friday, Friday morning, morning Bible, Bible, Bible study, study men's, men's group, um, he said, all, all I really have, have to offer, offer Jesus is my will. will. It's really, really all I got. Like, like everything, everything else was already his. his. The only thing, the only thing he really gave, gave me in this world, world that's mine is my will. will. That's, that's all, all I've got, got to offer Jesus. Jesus. You're going to have to exercise that will. will. You're going to exercise it the way Jesus wants you to exercise it. That's that whole, you know, that's the Indiana Jones in like, get up. And take, and take a, a step. step. You gotta get, get up. up. You gotta, you gotta take, take a step. step. And if and you're, if you're Eeyore, Eeyore, I just can't, can't do anything on my own. own. Let, me Let me tell you what, you what Hebrews 12, 12 4 4 says. says. In, In your, your struggle, struggle against, against sin, sin, you, you have, have not, not yet resisted the point, point of shedding, shedding your blood. blood. That's, That's the standard, standard that Paul gives us. Like, like, yeah, okay, it's hard, but. You're not, You're not bleeding, bleeding yet, yet, so you got, you something, got something left, left in, the in the tank, right? right? <laughs> That's what Paul gives, gives us. All right, number All right, two, two, second, second thing, thing you need, you need to exercise your will. will. You, need you need a plan. plan. You need a need plan. plan. Nobody, Nobody wins, wins the Super Bowl, Bowl by accident. accident. Nobody's, Nobody's like, wow, I just got, got up and I was, and I was here. here. It was amazing, it was amazing right? right? Like, that like, doesn't happen. You need a plan. People who plan their meals and workouts get in shape. People who make a budget... You do better, do better with, with their, their money because they, they have a plan. plan. You gotta have, you gotta you gotta have, have a, plan a plan for how, for how you're, you're going to do this. this. You gotta, you gotta decide, decide uh, where, where you're, you're going, going to read your Bible, Bible where, where you're, you're going, going to spend time, time in prayer, when, when you're going to do those things. things. Like, like, make, make a plan. plan. You'll, You'll miss some days, days. Right? right? If you say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible five times this week, and then. By, by Friday, Friday you've only done it twice. twice. Like, you like don't, you don't give, give up because there's only three, three, you know, three, three times, times in two days. days. Oh, I didn't, I didn't make it, so I guess I, guess I quit. Because the, the point wasn't the week, right? The point wasn't the number, number of days. days. You're going to have weeks where you don't, don't make it. it. And, that's and that's okay. okay. You get back, back on the horse. You've not even bled for this thing yet. Right? Like, make a plan. Start with your Bible. Decide that reading your Bible is priority. It's the, it's first, the first domino. domino. It's your Normandy, right? That's your first step. You've got to read your Bible. If you want to know what Jesus wants you to do with your life, you should read what Jesus said, and then you should do it. And, and you, know, you know, you might, you might learn, learn some things. things. It'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Uh, all right, all right. Third, third thing. thing. You need to exercise, exercise your will. You, you need, need a plan. plan. You need, you need a, a crew. crew. Posse. Posse. A band, a band of, of brothers. brothers. Right? Right? You need, you need to, to probably, probably like, 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 imagine, like, Google Earth, Earth you, got, you got the planet, you zoom in, in. Like, like, that's, that's how, how I think, I think about, about this thing. thing. I, got, I, got, I, got, I got, like, this, this sort of world out there of podcasts and books and, books and blogs and music and, music and art, and art that, that, that weaves, weaves into the fabric of life to point me towards Jesus. That's a good thing, right? That's level one. Level two, you need to connect with the local church. Online people, I'm talking to you. You need to connect with the local church. So a side note, by the way, my mom in Oregon has been doing church with us for like a year and a half now, which is awesome. So if everybody wants to like wave at the camera and say, hi, Karen, she's doing that. So that's awesome. And she doesn't know I'm preaching today. So Okay, so... You've got to connect with the local church. church. If, you're if you're online every, every week, every week, every week, every week, every week you, have you have to figure out how you're going to connect with a local, with a local church. church. We have traded connection with this. 
right? We have traded being known and being loved in a community for likes on Instagram. We got to be really, really, really careful. Um, so I, I teach music, and we had, a, we had our psychologist come and talk to the faculty and um, talked about the, this was a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, the big spike in mental health issues with our students, and that the number one driver was social media and the phone, because we're replacing human connection with likes on Instagram. Um, so we got to figure out how to get past the YouTube and connect with a local church. And I know right now is hard and things are weird, uh, but, uh, but figure out like a plan for how that's gonna happen for you because that, that's gotta happen. You gotta connect with a local church. Um, zoom in again. You gotta connect with a small group. Uh, we're gonna get small groups firing again here real soon. Um, and you got yeah. all right, we gotta get there. We gotta get, um, we gotta get in with like 15 people where you can come in and go, hey, the Bible says this thing. That, that seems dumb. Why does it say that, right? And then you can unpack that with a group of people. Um, and just be known around the Bible with those people. And then, I'm going to zoom in, you've got to have two or three close friends who can walk with you. Um, again, I'm not big on trying to talk about women's problems because I don't really know. Um, I'm not that smart. But guys, we're really bad at that. We are really, really bad at connecting with two or three guys that we can trust them with our heart. And we've got to be good at that. We gotta be better than that. You gotta have two or three friends that can walk closely with you. They get to know everything in your heart. And then, for many of us, you have experienced the effects of a sinful world to the extent that you probably need a counselor. You probably need somebody that that has some understanding of, of how that plays out in your life that can call you on those things and, and, and help, you, help you get beyond the living out of unresolved wounds, broken relationships, trauma, ways that you've been hurt. And again, especially guys in the room, like we're really bad at that. Um, you know, even 20 years ago, there was a big stigma around that and that still kind of like is in the water. Um, so let me encourage you, if your wife says, you should turn to your wife if you're married and say, hey, you think I could benefit by talking to a counselor once? Like, if she says yes, you should go. Like, don't ask if you're not going to do it, but you know. That's how you would know. All right. The Bible is sanctifying. I'm going to give you three more. The Bible is sanctifying, but only if you read it. Right? It, here's my Bible over here. Got me a Bible over there. Feeling holy because I got a Bible. Like, it's a book, dude. Like, if, you ha- if you're not reading it, it's not sanctifying. It's not part of that process of how God is going to speak to you and teach you and train you and work in you. Uh, so you got you to gotta read it. Second, Bible is sanctifying, but only if you read it prayerfully. Like, you got to invite God into this. you got to recognize that, that this thing is living and that God wants to, like, he wants to teach you something, but you're probably not going to get it when you read. Uh, so a few weeks ago, uh, one of our elders, Steve, talked about uh, reading the Bible in the morning and sometimes it's like, oh, well, okay, great. That was, that was awesome, but I got nothing out of that. But watch. Like, 
through the day. Like, watch. Like, what's this thing about, and what's happening in front of me? And you begin to see stuff, right? You'll, you'll, you'll get directed towards, like, what is it I'm supposed to be focusing on, and what is it I'm supposed to be looking out for? And then you're going to see stuff. So you've got to invite God into that, into that process. Uh, it's not a textbook. It's not a flight manual. That's not how God interacts with us, right? So we've got to read it prayerfully. And finally, number three, the Bible is sanctifying. Uh, the Bible is sanctifying only if you read it prayerfully with a teachable spirit. How often do we read the Bible and we're just like looking to confirm our stuff, right? Um, I know better than to talk about politics, uh, but your politics are probably stupid, right? God calls us sheep, right? Like, like maybe you really know your political stuff, but it's tainted by sin. It's broken. You only know a little bit about the world. Like, let's have a teachable spirit here. We got to be really careful about going into our Bible with preconceptions that, that stretch beyond God is God. Jesus is alive and saved me, and I need him, right? We've got to be really, really careful about that validation of worldly opinions, sort of sucking those out of scripture, out of context. Be really careful. Have a teachable spirit. Read your Bible. Read it prayerfully, and read it prayerfully with a teachable spirit. Be ready for correction. Be ready to to have that thing that you thought was really important sort of laid down. Probably wasn't that important. Be teachable. Let God work in your heart. So we're going to come to the table this morning, communion. Um, Jesus gathered his disciples together before, he, before he's crucified, before he's going to die. And he says, listen, uh, we're going to take this bread, this thing that you eat every day at every meal. Every time you eat it, I want you to remember me. And, and I want you to take this cup, this wine is what they used. Um, and, th and this represents my blood. And we're making a new covenant. We're making a new agreement between man and God that you can be saved and you can be healed and you can be reconciled. Do this in remembrance of me. When we remember Jesus, we don't want to just think Jesus-y thoughts, right? When we remember Jesus, we need to remember you know, who was he? What did he say? What did he do? What does he ask of me in my life? And before you come to the table this morning, as the band's going to come and, and lead us in worship as we do this, take a minute. Take a minute and prayerfully ask God, like, where's my next step? As I remember Jesus, as I remember what he said, what he did, what he asks of me, Show me my next step. Be ready to take it. It's a, it's a humbling thing to go before the throne of God and say, God, where do I need to, where do I need to dress? Where do I need to tweak? Where do I need to put something down? What does that look like? So take a minute before you come. And then uh, when you come, the, the bread and the juice is here for you. Um, do we, Tanner, do we come up the sides or come up the middle? I don't remember. I've been doing this 15 years here. You'd think I know. We come up the sides, and then you can make your way back to your seat. That just kind of avoids a, a traffic jam here. So uh, let's pray together, uh, and then the band will lead us. Uh, God, we, uh, we're broken 
people. And we're not yet the people that you call us to be. Inspire us, call us to get into your word. Inspire us and call us to get into your word, to do it prayerfully and humbly with a teachable spirit uh, that, you can, that you can show us where we need to take the next step. That process, that sanctifying process where you, uh, where you enter in and make us holy more so each day, uh, that that can play out in our lives, that, that as individuals we can be the, the man or the woman that you've called us to be, as couples that we can be uh, in this marriage as you've called it to be, that as a church we can be this, uh, this awesome little church that has uh, found how you want us to live in this community. That we can be only your light and nothing else. So God, just uh, just lead us, inspire us, teach us, grow us. That we can be more like Jesus Monday than we were on Sunday. That's our prayer this morning.